guard of honour for Sinn Féin's party leadership, the history makers. Northern Ireland's elections this month were historic. The winning party was a group that wants out of the United Kingdom. For the first time in a hundred years, the government could be led by the Irish Nationalist Party Sinn Féin. And that got very complicated very quickly. An end to a century of dominance by unionists, which support the British crown and constitution. The unionists have refused to form a new devolved administration over the post-Brexit Northern Ireland protocol. Ever since the UK voted for Brexit back in 2016, the future of Northern Ireland has been stuck at the border. This victory could break that deadlock, but that could unravel two decades of peace. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. The Northern Irish border today is invisible, but it used to be one of the most militarized in the world. That was during the long conflict known as the Troubles. Republicans fought to join the Republic of Ireland and end British rule. Unionists fought to stay in the United Kingdom. The divide came down in 1998 after a peace deal known as the Good Friday Agreement or the Belfast Agreement. Since then, the troubles have subsided, though violence does still flare up. And there's been a generation of free movement. When both the UK and Ireland were part of the EU, that wasn't a problem. But after Brexit, the threat has been looming of a return to a hard border. So I'm talking to someone who lives less than a mile away from it. My name is Leona O'Neill, and I am a former journalist and a current journalism lecturer in Ulster University. And where am I catching you right now? I'm in Derry, up beside Donegal, the very sort of top end of Ireland in Northern Ireland. So let's start by talking about Sinn Féin. We can't talk about them without discussing their long history and the fight against British rule in Ireland. Sinn Féin members were heavily involved in the Easter Rising of 1916, an armed insurrection against British rule in Ireland. It was once described as the political wing of the provisional IRA, the Irish Republican Army. So tell us what we need to know about Sinn Féin. They're a party who have a long history, some would say a, a controversial history. During the early years of the Troubles, the IRA bombmakers had one aim, to devastate Northern Ireland and force a British withdrawal. Their goals were always, I suppose, um, mirrored that of the IRA. They wanted to get the British Army and the British establishment out of Ireland. So for a long time, the two sort of went hand in hand. They did have some trouble separating themselves from the IRA, and they still do actually to this, this day because, you know, prominent members of Sinn Féin have, have served in, in prison as IRA members. But at the same time, Leona says there's a new generation of Sinn Féin in both Northern Ireland and in the Republic of Ireland. To start with, the party leaders these days are women, which is new. If you look at Mary Lou Macdonald and Shell O'Neill, who are very well-spoken, very intelligent women, 
It's a million miles away from the kind of masked man standing at a roadblock with a rifle in his hand asking people for their licence and checkpoints and stuff like that. I mean, 250,000 people voted for Sinn Féin at the weekend in our elections. They have this new bright vibrancy about them in the last couple of years, for sure. So Sinn Féin won the most seats, but it didn't actually do better than it did the last election. And that's because the changes are really on the other side of the political divide with the unionists or the people who want Northern Ireland to be part of the UK. And all of it comes down to Brexit. Northern Ireland is very tangled up in Brexit. Can you explain why? Oh, explain Brexit. That's, have we got five <laughs> years or so? I know. Basically, Brexit is the UK divorcing from the EU. Basically, that's what it is. And Northern Ireland is part of the UK. But, you know, we're in a land that has a land border with the EU. The border there has such symbolic, you know, meaning to a lot of people. So in Northern Ireland, very, very mixed community. We have one half of the community who consider themselves British and very much wedded to England and the Queen and call themselves British. Then you have the other community who thinks of themselves as Irish and they are very much wedded to Dublin and the South Republic of Ireland. Um, Brexit just threw a big hand grenade into Northern Ireland because it made people really think on their identity. There was at the very start, uh, there was talk of a hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. So there was going to be those structures again on the border. There was going to be, you know, some kind of customs checks, asking people for passports, perhaps, or some kind of identification passing over the borders. And that brought back a lot of um, really bad memories for people. Because right now there aren't those things. There aren't those things. It's um, the border now is completely invisible. The only way that you can tell that's actually the border is that the colour of the tarmac on the road is darker in Northern Ireland than it is in the South. So there's just a very slight difference in the hue of greyness of our tarmac. And that's where the line is. That's the only way you can tell that it's a border there. But since the threat of a hard border first came back during the time of Brexit, so has the threat of violence. Much of that threat came from nationalist dissidents who don't want any kind of border. They threatened to attack any new infrastructure or any person put there to protect it. And for people like Leona, that sparks old memories back when she was a child. My mum is from Donegal in the Republic of Ireland. So we frequently passed across the border to visit my mum's family. The borders in Northern Ireland were covered in barbed wire. There are these huge, big army green corrugated iron structures plunked right in the middle of the countryside often. So could you imagine looking at fields of cows and sheep and stuff and then this big military installation just plunked right in the middle of it. It looked like it landed from outer space. She also remembered the checkpoint searches that were part of daily life. You know, I remember driving past with my dad and driving through these border checkpoints and these soldiers, heavily armed soldiers. And these boys were 17, 18, 19-year-old English boys from council estates in London and, and Birmingham. And they were scared and they were quite often very cheeky and hostile. 
and we would be taken out of the car and the car would be searched and sometimes they would put a knife through the back seat of the car and it was really frightening actually it was really frightening as a child it's only when I look back on it now that I think gee that was that was kind of quite frightening it was only when that went away after the Good Friday Agreement that you kind of you know the tension kind of went down when you thought that was absolutely not normal none of that was normal the IRA frequently targeted these checkpoints for attacks during the decades of the Troubles. The strategy of the provisional IRA, especially in rural areas, to make the area as dangerous as possible for the security forces. British soldiers were shot and killed, and the checkpoints were frequently bombed as well, including one notorious IRA attack in 1990, down the road from Leona. The one that was, that's just down the road from me here, the IRA attacked it. They chained a man called Patsy Gillespie to a van and packed it with explosives. And they held his children and his wife hostage and forced him to drive to the border checkpoint where they remotely detonated the bomb and they killed him and five soldiers and left a huge crater in the, in the ground. You know, those are the type of memories that, that, that people have with border checkpoints. Which brings us back to today. The checkpoints are gone now, and people work and travel freely. Goods travel freely, too. And that's where it gets complicated. Goods coming from the UK used to follow EU rules. Now they're EU imports. If UK goods go from London to Dublin, they're checked at a hard border. But if they stop in Belfast, there's no land border to check them before they go south. So the EU and the UK came up with a complicated arrangement. It's called the Northern Irish Border Protocol. It might sound dry, but it's the heart of everything happening. It's basically a customs check on UK goods that takes place in Northern Irish ports. Goods from Britain are checked at ports in Northern Ireland. The province remains in the EU's single market, so trade can move freely across its land border with the Republic of Ireland. And for people whose identity is built on being in the UK, the Unionists, that does not work. They see it as moving the border from the land to the sea, and it's paralyzed Northern Ireland's government. The main Unionist party, the DUP, is staying out of government unless the border protocol is changed. Here's Geoffrey Donaldson, the DUP leader. Power sharing has to operate on the basis of consensus. Consensus is the the key principle at the heart of the Belfast Agreement. That's also a name for the Good Friday Agreement. And there is not unionist consent for this protocol. Not a single unionist MLA elected to this assembly and taking their seats today supports the protocol. If the situation were reversed, does anyone seriously believe that we would have had talks and talks and talks and nothing resulting from those negotiations? Although it's only checking goods that are coming across from England to Northern Ireland and checking them at the border points there in Belfast or or wherever, they very much, that's a symbolic thing for them. In much the same way, a hard border would be a symbolic thing for nationalists. The UK government is now planning legislation to change the protocol, potentially without the EU's consent. And that has big risks. To understand them, we talk to someone who crosses the border every day, 
and is fighting to keep it that way. My name is Damien McGinnity. I'm the coordinator for Border Communities Against Brexit. Um, I work uh, part-time in financial services and I also farm beef cattle. Damien travels across the border twice going home, twice coming back. He's also a part-time farmer, as he mentioned, and he buys most of his farm supplies in the South. I'm just an ordinary person, and there's a group of us got together in the autumn of 2016. We were fed up looking at the TV and listening to politicians. And what they were not talking about was how a hard border and the trauma that we were potentially faced with, how it was going to affect me and people like me. Damien explained why changing those entry checks would be problematic. Food is, is the primary problem. There's, more, there's many others, but food's the primary problem. The UK are importing food from all around the world, and they are doing no checks at the import point. They're doing random checks at point of destination. And the food that they're bringing in from around the world does not meet EU standards. Now, at some point, there's going to be a food scare. And the protocol protects us on the island of Ireland from any of those issues. They remove the protocol that food will come into Belfast. It's then free to travel across the island of Ireland into the single market. And that's when enormous problems will arise. Because for Ireland to be embroiled in a food scare would mean it was a detached member of the European single market. It would do international reputation to Ireland, which is a a a massively food-exporting country. So that's why the entry checks are important. But there's one more issue. Right now, goods made in Northern Ireland still have to follow EU regulations. If those regulations changed, as Damien puts it, all bets are off. They will automatically stop being under the orbit of all of them rules and regulations that currently apply. A huge amount of food and 40% of the milk that's, that's produced on farms in the north every day travels south into those southern companies. They sell product all over the world. Milk, cheese, yogurt, baby infant formula. Those international buyers will not touch any product from the island of Ireland that has food ingredients, milk, doesn't matter what it is, that comes from an unregulated part of that island. And then we're into a really serious situation because how will those checks occur? Um, Will there be border checks? And this becomes a thin end of the wedge very, very, very fast. I have sat in rooms with very serious politicians and they would not come out publicly and say that. They were full of sympathy for me and people like me who live in border communities. But these politicians, uh, very senior politicians in the European Union, um, were telling me, if this goes wrong, we will expect Ireland to protect the single market of the European Union. Now, this is an absolute nightmare for the Irish government. As Damien put it, who would want to be the Irish leader who repartitioned the island of Ireland? I certainly wouldn't like that job. And this is what Boris Johnson is playing with here. This is what the extreme elements in unionism want. There's one more player here, and that's the EU. 
and they've been very clear that they will respond to any UK plan to unilaterally change the border protocol. But the UK could still go ahead anyway and potentially ignite an EU trade war. That's something people like Leona are struggling to believe. People here are struggling to heat their homes. They're struggling to put petrol in their cars to take them to work. They're struggling with the price of food going up. They're struggling to feed their children. And the DUP ran an election campaign basically about the protocol, about stopping the protocol, about scrapping the protocol. And they won, I think it was 187,000 votes because of that. And I just wonder, do these people not realise what this is, is about? But then I remember, this is Northern Ireland, and, and identity is the most prominent thing in people's mind. Identity, flags, Britishness, Irishness. Um, that's, that's kind of more important than than anything to some people. Both sides feel threatened and, you know, I suppose anger is a more um, comfortable emotion than fear, but there's a lot of fear and goodness knows when we're going to be able to actually sort it out and have, I think, not even have peace build on, build those foundations of peace again because they've become quite shaky in, in recent years and we've got threats from Firstly, dissident Republicans talking about bombing the border and now loyalists talking about attacking the seaports and even attacking Republic of Ireland uh, politicians as well, you know. So it's very, very volatile over here and threats and uh, dangerous rhetoric are probably not the best um, way to negotiate anything, but that's how we do things in Northern Ireland. All of this is what makes that Sinn Féin election victory so critical to Northern Ireland's future. Sinn Féin wants Northern Ireland to join the Republic of Ireland, and it's called for a referendum on both sides of the border within five years. If that vote ever passed, and it's a big if, Northern Ireland could rejoin the European Union. So in a post-Brexit world, there's a new significance to the question of a united Ireland. If you had bumped into me prior to the Brexit referendum and asked me that question, I would have said, that's so far off in the distance. I couldn't honestly tell you if I'd say it in my lifetime. Beyond no illusion, Brexit has fast-forwarded that date hugely. Whatever the future of a united Ireland is, Leona says... The question of Northern Irish unity needs to be sorted out first. I think Northern Ireland has to be unified before we even talk about uh, Republic of Ireland and, and Northern Ireland being unified. What good would a united Ireland be if you can't bring your Protestant and your unionist neighbours and friends with you to kind of make them want a united Ireland so that it's peaceful? What a lot of people don't want is a forced United Ireland, you know, United Ireland pushed through by Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin, as we talked about at the very start, have a lot of baggage with them. They have a lot of that IRA past. I, I can't see people agreeing with it if, uh, if the tag that comes with it is violence back on the street because unionists are so against it that uh, they will go back to war. So I think we have a long, long way to go with regards to reconciliation before we even think about a border poll. So from the outside, yes, the election is historic. And yes, the border issue is again at a fever pitch. 
But in Northern Ireland, people know to wait and see. Times have changed and our government is reflecting that. If you take off the kind of glossy veneer of that and you look underneath it, nothing has changed. Everything has changed, but nothing has changed. But if you're here and you see the fighting and the squabbling and the, 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 the need of the people not being met, people being abandoned by their political representatives, that's, I suppose, what's underneath all that. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Alexandra Locke with Ney Alvarez, Ruby Zaman, Nagin Oliai, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Our engagement producers are Aya Al-Milek and Adam Abugad. We'll be back on Friday. <laughs>